Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, brought to you by the Destination Linux Network. Today, we begin a series around open source and education. In this episode, we will discuss the best way to approach a school district and talk about the current technology state. All that and more on The Pseudo Show. Hey there, and welcome to The Pseudo Show, your home for all things open source. I'm Brandon, and today I'm joined by Bill, better known in The Pseudo Show and DLN Matrix Rooms as CT Linux. Bill has worked in education, IT, for many years, and currently helps manage small and medium business, or SMB, and school networks. Bill, it's good to have you on The Pseudo Show as a guest host. How are you doing? I am doing well, Brandon. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. I'm been looking forward to this. We've been planning this for a couple of weeks and just uh, glad we finally got this on the calendar and uh, uh, to record. Sadly, my uh, health prevented us from doing this a little sooner. <laughs> glad to hear you're doing better. <laughs> Much better. Yeah. So uh, let's go ahead and dive into it. This episode is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform. You can get started today with a $100 free credit by going to do.co slash DLN and create your account. DigitalOcean is helping you get your apps to market faster with their app platform. Here you can build, deploy, and scale your apps quickly by using their simple, fully managed solution. The app platform starts at just $5 a month and has support for Node.js, Python, PHP, Ruby, and many, many more. Get started today by going to do.co slash DLN to get your $100 free credit. This promo is good for two months and will let you play with all kinds of ready-to-play apps from the DigitalOcean marketplace. That's do.co slash DLN. And thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of The Pseudo Show. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and business organizations to store, share, and sync sensitive data. You can go to bitwarden.com DLN to check out this amazing open source password manager. Bitwarden works across your devices from mobile, desktop, browser plugins, and even the command line. We're all big fans of Bitwarden. One of those reasons is trust. So how does Bitwarden prove they can be trusted. Not only is Bitwarden open source, they have their code regularly audited by security experts. If you want to make the smart move like many awesome people in the community, then check out bitwarden.com DLN and get started for free. If you're like me, though, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the premium edition, especially when the premium edition only starts at $10 per year. That's right, $10 per year. Thank you to Bitwarden for being a sponsor of the Pseudo Show and the entire Destination Linux network. Bill, you've been involved in the education space for some time, but before we get into the heart of today's topic for the series, can you give us a quick overview of your background? Sure. Uh, I work for a managed services provider near Hartford, Connecticut, and I've been doing IT personally and professionally for about 20 years now. And uh, in that time, I've worked both as a consultant and as an IT director in the educational space. So 
Bill, I've never worked in the education space. I've always dealt with Fortune 500 enterprises or uh, maybe the smallest I ever dealt with was uh, um, OC Tanner in uh, Salt Lake City, which is probably even still a billion dollar company. Uh, so I, I, for me, when I think about this, it, I imagine, uh, the politics are pretty much the same. It's just the players who you think would be making the decisions. They're not the people you think they should be, uh, at least in our initial conversation, it's the impression I got. And so I, what, before we get into specifically that, though, what is the objective of, of an education organization when it comes to technology? The overall goal is to provide students the tools they need to succeed in the next step of their journey. Mm-hmm. Now, in the lower grades, that may be teaching you how to do a podcast for a presentation that you need for eighth grade skills. And in the high school, it might be learning basics of coding and logic to prepare you for college. At college, it may be to prepare you for the working world. But whatever level of education you are entering or exiting, the goal of technology is to become a tool that those students use for 21st century work. The way that that topic is approached varies very differently depending on what community you're in, how they view technology, their other views regarding maybe privacy and security or device variety or uh, what tools the teachers are comfortable with teaching at that time. Yeah. So at that, so today, most of this is probably still Microsoft in many respects, but um, my daughter's school is all in on Google. Uh, uh, they're a private school, but they, they've decided uh, the Google suites for them, uh, Apple uh, for the lower grades, but that, uh, which I find interesting and like one of the so I can I guess the question I want to get at is how do you overcome that or work within that system it, when when we live it when we like I know you and I want to live in a open source world where everything is open and free and you know and there are unicorns and rainbows everywhere but uh, <laughs> but that's not the world we live. in. <laughs> No, it's not. It's uh, it's complicated in many ways. Um, what you've described to me, where, where your daughter's going to school, is pretty much how it's set up in most of the schools that I support. Here in Connecticut, ninety-four percent of the schools are Google-based, and when schools were entering, and I'm going back about ten years now, uh, maybe longer where they were entering this concept of giving a child a laptop, giving them an iPad, centralizing email, uh, conversations 
or had across the state about what's the right tool to do the job. And I can tell you from my own experience at the time, Google G Suite made the most sense because frankly, it was the only product that was out there that was free and mature enough to handle the needs of our school district and many others like mine. In the education space, it's very difficult to uh, do a 180 and change direction when you've made a commitment to both the device and the cloud, which are generally tied together. And if a school goes down the Microsoft Office 365 route or Office 365 EDU now, they're picking Windows laptops because the cloud and the device go hand in hand through device management utilities. On the Google side, you have the Chromebook, the ubiquitous Chromebook. You see them everywhere. They're cheap to produce. Google doesn't cost anything for schools to use that that's provided to them as a free service. And there are many add-in tools that enhance the Google suite in the classroom, such as the Google Docs, Sheets, mm -hmm. uh, Word alternatives, Google Classroom for providing a means of providing digital content to students. And later on, we'll get into other add-ons through third parties like GoGuardian. But uh, I have found watching teachers try to go all in on a solution uh, stumble a little bit because uh, as funny as this may sound, it is slightly difficult to try to explain to a kindergartner how to sign into a Chromebook. I have seen many try and fail. And so generally you do find at the younger grades that the iPad seems to be the device that wins out. And then at a certain threshold, you call it fourth grade, fifth grade, the student is then issued a Chromebook, which might be kept in a cart in a classroom. And as you go into the higher grades, that Chromebook then goes home and becomes a, a learning device to use it in the house. Yeah, th that's really hard to compete with. I mean, we're we're dealing with free in our in with Linux and open source, usually more or less in terms of the software um, expenditure. Uh, but Google's offering this for free, and they're offering a fully integrated experience. So I that yeah that that's going to be a really difficult um, pill to swallow to go from a fully integrated free experience to well just call it what it is to the not so integrated uh, experience with Linux. Uh, depending on which route you go, whether that's using like Nextcloud for the file sync and all the content management that you need and uh, uh, LibreOffice for, for the documents. It's just, just not a cohesive story. So I, it, that's going to be a really, really tough to, to go after, especially with Google just throwing their weight around, plus their brand recognition. I want to preface this by saying that implementing Linux and open source is not going to be easy. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to overcome many hurdles, but just like any other complex problem, you know, you give a kid a word problem and you ask them to solve it, they're going mm -hmm. to break it down into smaller steps that are more manageable. And that's the approach that I take to adopting Linux in the educational namespace. Hmm. Find an application where it makes sense to roll out Linux in a responsible manner. Because in some instances I have seen 
educational institutions that went all in on Linux too fast, too soon. And they had a negative taste of Linux going forward from that and reverted back to Windows. Mm -hmm. So my approach with Linux and education is where does it make sense to inject Linux into the process responsibly? You know, case in point, uh, I have a school district that I managed that needed a way of tracking issues that came in for different departments, whether it's mm -hmm. maintenance or IT or the administrative staff. And so we used OS Ticket. Now, OS Ticket is an open source, uh, to free to use help desk system, and you can build it out however you want. Uh, I have other districts that use Snipe It, which is an inventory management system, also free and open source. And this is how I promote Linux. And I, I use the words Linux and open source when I'm describing these tools to those decision makers so that I can drive that conversation further about giving these people a, a positive take on what Linux can do for their educational institutions. So Bill, you, uh, responsibly, I mean, that's not putting a Gentoo in there. <laughs> um, or I may or may not have seen that before. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I kind of brought this up right at the beginning and you, and you kind of, uh, uh, sec kind of segued into it. Not really, but I'm going to like one of the differences that you, you and I have talked about between like a typical business, whether that's small business that I've dealt with, like smaller businesses that I've dealt with, or even the larger organizations, it's pretty clear who the stakeholders are. I, it sounds like in many respects, the stakeholders are not, are not so obvious in the education space. Can you expand on that a bit? Sure. So everybody is a user and everybody's a decision maker in the education namespace. But if you start at the outside and look inward, um, most, almost all educational institutions have either a board of finance, board of education, board of trustees, that make global decisions about the overall implementation and money spending for a school. And those are generally elected by either the public or by external constituents within that community, meaning non-teachers, non-students, non-administrators. Coming down from the board, you have a superintendent or a head of school. And that's the person, obviously, that's on site at the top making the day-to-day -day decisions regarding uh, budget, vision, goals. You may have a principal or a headmaster underneath that, and the principal is more closely integrated with the teachers. They may oversee a, a curriculum director, assistant principals, and obviously teachers. The goal of the principal is to make their life as less complicated as possible. And I don't mean that as a slight against school administrators. They do not have an easy job, but they don't have the bandwidth in their day to take on unnecessary problems, especially when it comes to technology. So they just want it to work. So that that goes back to the, let's keep it simple. Keep us, you know, make the, like if it, 
it needs to solve a real business problem or in this case, uh, just not business problem isn't the right word, but, uh, in this particular space, but it's the, uh, uh, and it needs to work a hundred percent of the time for, especially for, for it to get used. Correct. Now, after the principal, you know, I, I like to add in the assistant principals because they generally deal with discipline. So their concerns are unique because they want visibility into all of the devices and reporting about activity of devices building wide. Privacy and security is really not on their top 10 list of things because they want to know what sites a student was visiting when they should have been paying attention. Yeah. Actually, you know, let's, let's go into that. I think we were going to talk about this, uh, later on in this series, but, uh, you brought it up. So, uh, this is pretty important. I mean, it, on one hand, you know, you and I are both privacy advocates, but at the same time, like some of this privacy invasive technology has quite literally saved lives. And uh, I hate to sound like a, an apologist to like the Apples or the Googles, but sometimes I, whenever I hear myself say, well, that Google and their, uh, that the cert, their, uh, deep learning search tool that caught that, uh, that, that search term that got that kid hit some help or the, you know, using, uh, the metadata from, uh, the, uh, uh, child abuse, uh, images, um, uh, database, uh, that Apple was doing right. And, you know, d- uh, it kind of makes us sound out of touch, you know, with, uh, you know, keeping, kids safe sometimes at least that's the way i sometimes feel and uh so let like what's the like i know there's the privacy uh implications but what have you i probably just gave it away but what's the uh um you know real world applications that that a lot of these services have helped with schools and are there alternatives i mean i don't think there are they're less privacy invasive. It really boils down to what the vision is of the school district regarding reporting versus privacy. And you can't win at both fronts. I mean, there's really, you're going to, it is a, to some degree, a zero sum game. And uh, you're right that some of this software has saved lives. I can tell you that in some of my schools, if you Google the term self harm, uh, you are pulled into the nurse's office with the counselor, administrators, and usually a medical professional to find out what the nature of your inquiry was. Because no parent wants to find out that their child attempted self-harm at school. I think that's every parent's absolute worst nightmare is getting that phone call. And I, I train my technicians that when you are working at a school, you'll encounter this. This is a real world thing and you need to be prepared to answer questions regarding reports and analytics and and getting data out of systems you didn't think even existed. There is a there isn't a right answer for this right now. 
I think mm-hmm. maybe down the road as more options become available, there will be more right answers for the questions that we bring up regarding privacy and security versus data reporting and visibility. In terms of alternatives, um, there are many different ways to go about this. You know, if you're in a Google school, the two that come to mind are GoGuardian and Securely, which are paid subscription services that tie into the free Google service. So there's kind of like that hidden back end cost of Google. Mm-hmm. But these are services that have big data working behind them and they have programmers and algorithms and people actively working on these things by the day. You could also implement a next generation firewall at your school, whether it be a commercial solution like Cisco Meraki, SonicWall, Fortinet, WatchGuard, you pick it and it's out there. Maybe the reporting metrics don't do everything that you're looking for, and maybe they will down the road at some point. But just for any parent that's out there, the best advice that I can give to you is embrace the fact that your son or daughter or child is going to be one step ahead of you at all times. And I can tell you that I was a kid once, Brandon, you were a kid once, and if, you know, given our backgrounds, we were called the little hackers that you know got into all sorts of trouble with for using Linux or whatever else it was at that time. But as I'm not a parent, but if you are a parent, just stay involved. You know, be involved with what your your child's activities are. If you want to supervise what they're doing, maybe have them use their device at the dining room table or another place where you can kind of keep an eye on on what they're doing with with their device at home. I, I'm a Big, big, uh, user of this, uh, you know, my daughter has an iPad and I am a firm believer in the parental controls and, uh, actually on top of that, you know, uh, she has her own Apple ID because, uh, I have more fine grained controls, uh, than I would if I just signed into mine versus my, my account on her iPad and, uh, like. YouTube's off limits and, uh, you know, basically there's like six websites she can visit her school website, a couple, of other educational websites, and that's about it. <laughs> so and, my thought is for, for, for someone like you, Brandon, who has an amazing technological background or someone like me, who's been at this for a long time, it's pretty straightforward to implement mm-hmm. those solutions at home. But if you're a parent and you maybe don't quite know what to do, I would encourage you to speak with the IT professionals at your local school or or Mm -hmm. teacher or administrator to help you get in touch with the right person for maybe some tips that would help you have a better understanding of how the technology is being used both at the school and at your home. Yeah. And it's good to be educated on it. Like, Don't just uh, throw an iPad in front of your kid, log into your Apple account and hope they don't get in trouble. Um, that that's the big thing for me. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I was uh, I was the, definitely uh, the kid with the well, most this was high school, you know, the kid with the laptop running a, a Mandrake or Red Hat, whatever, whichever one I, I was running at the time. Probably, actually, no, it was Corel Linux. <laughs> How about this one for you then, Brandon? Caldera Linux. Uh, I, I did it at Corel because my school was still using WordPerfect. So <laughs> for all the 
anyone under the age of uh, 35, uh, word perfect is still a, a word processing and uh, actually it's a full office suite. So <laughs> yeah, I wanted to also get into some of the after school programs. I mean, I, I'm sure I don't, I'm sure you don't get involved in this because you're not a parent bill, but maybe you help with some of this because you support schools like the you know, after school programs, whether that's like robotics or whatever, like in terms of Linux uh, systems, and we'll talk about this probably in a later on in the series in more detail, but uh, expanding on like, you know, actually using technology for education, you know, not just uh, not, since we brought up spying, like <laughs> use the, you know, use technology to actually educate our kids. Depends on the school, depends on the community, how after school programs are implemented. I've seen obviously the robotics programs and the, if it's a teacher teaching it, they generally stick with what's provided by Google just because curriculum is there and the devices are already in the rooms. Mm -hmm. However, that's not to say that I haven't seen schools break out Raspberry Pis and create some wonderful, wonderful projects like weather stations, other robotics, teaching basics of Python programming. And then it just goes on from there, how to build a basic website, how to build uh, a way to check for ambient temperature in your house. You pick it and the, the possibilities are endless. So one of the ways that a school can kind of embrace open source from the after hours way in is by leveraging the Raspberry Pi, the world's most ubiquitous small form factor computer. That's where I've seen it really win the most. However, at the higher grades, I'm starting to see after school esports programs. And I have a hunch that in the next few years, and no, this is not a 2022 prediction, but I have a hunch in the next few years, we are going to see Linux-based esports gaming, thanks to the Steam Deck. Yep, I think so too. Uh, I have I need to check to see where that's at. I, I, I don't think it got delayed again, but... <laughs> uh, actually, I was thinking about that just seeing, you know, the how popular esports has gotten, uh, not just with my generation and uh, Gen Z, and probably will be with my daughter's generation. Yeah, you know, if uh, that esports just doesn't become something that is just a thing you do in high school, like there's debate. There's football and there's esports. We are talking about the esports team having varsity letter jackets with LEDs going around the letter to show off the the esports side. It's fascinating to me because I remember when I walked into the school that I worked at, who's now a client of mine, I realized I needed to get the buy-in of the students and show them that I 
am not there to just create trouble for them, that I am there to also help them along their journey. And this was a high school. And I overheard a couple of kids talking about building a new gaming system. And I walked by one of them and I said, I wouldn't use that video card with that power supply. You're going to need something a little beefier. And from that point forward, those students visited me in my office on a pretty regular basis to talk about gaming, hardware, networking, a career in technology. And I've since hired two of those students. One has moved on, but one of them still works for me. And he ironically runs the esports team now at this school. And I think it's amazing to see how esports has allowed students who wouldn't you know, fit into the quote unquote mainstream 20 years ago to really have their turn in the spotlight. And it's something I'm truly grateful for. Uh, that would have been something I would have been interested in at that, at the high school age. And, uh, it was a, you know, I was definitely going to land parties, but esports wasn't really a, a thing yet. <laughs> so, definitely getting, uh, made fun of for hauling my computer around. <laughs> I just get made fun of now when I talk about hauling around a 21 inch CRT monitor in my earlier years. Yep. I, mine was, uh, no, it was 21. It was giant. Maybe it was a little bigger, but I'm pretty, it was 21 or 23. And, uh, of course the biggest tower yep. uh, you could think of because that's how big things were. So. <laughs> and you needed the real estate in the machine. Yeah. Cause you needed CD ROMs <laughs> <laughs> and maybe a floppy drive or a zip drive. <laughs> uh, those were the days. <laughs> My first Linux distro was zip slack, which was slackware for a 100 meg zip disk. And once I learned what I could do with that, the door was open from there for me to explore Linux further in the high school realm. So I think back trying to do Linux gaming 20 years ago and what an adventure that was. And now I watch students sign in on a Linux machine or whatever else the device they have, lo load up Steam, Proton, and off they go. Yeah, well, one of the things I, because uh, I'm thinking about my early days in Linux, and this is, of course, when I'm, when I was still in a high school, the, uh, I, just any IT directors that work for a school district out there, uh, please set up your network to prevent rogue DHCP servers from hijacking your uh, network because that'll save you a headache, especially if there's uh, some high school student <laughs> uh, set up a Linux server in the computer lab because that's what he's working on. Just uh, just putting that out there. <laughs> well, Brandon, I learned about 802.1x, which is the, for those of you that don't know, it's a network authentication protocol when all of a sudden, no matter where I plugged into on a network with my laptop, I couldn't get any sort of IP address. Mm -hmm. And I asked the IT director about it after becoming quite frustrated. And he said, well, why don't you teach yourself 802.1x? And here's a book about the Network Plus certification from CompTIA. And let me know when you've passed it. Now that That's a good uh, IT director. <laughs> I was very <laughs> lucky to have a wonderful IT director in my high school. That's awesome. 
Yeah, in the next episode, we're going to dive into some of the technology education organizations need, including what we just discussed right there, and open source solutions to cover those needs for them to be successful. Thank you so much for joining us today. As always, your feedback is welcome. Head on over to pseudo.show slash discuss. If you'd like more of the pseudo show, you can find it over at pseudo.show and on social media at pseudo show podcast. You can catch more awesome content over at our network partners, destinationlinux.network. You can support the show on Patreon at pseudo.show slash Patreon or sponsors at pseudo.show slash sponsors. There'll be links in the show notes. Bill, anywhere you'd like to send our listeners? Sure. If you'd like to learn a bit more about Linux basics and education, there's a great site you could start with, k12irc.org slash tools slash computers slash linux.php. You can follow me on most social media at dbrandonjohnson or my website at open-tech.net and new content at destinationlinux.network. Remember, the pseudo show is your place for all things open source. Until next time.